AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You're listening to Waiting on Reparations, reparations. a production of iHeartRadio. We waiting on reparations, uh, uh. Skin is in the latte, but my talk ways is chalk white as a duff flock at a cockfight. All my life getting told that I'm chocolate, that I'm scary spice. Doesn't even matter that I'm posh spice with a dark side. I'd be fairly bright, but it doesn't matter. Still get shot dead on the cop lights. Like a bad dog, there's another case left to suffocate. Like a tadpole out of water or a bottom of a parasite. The bacon, the pavement, the Fahrenheit. Of a summer day when my mother waits, feeling terrified. She's wondering whether I'm running late. My body's tracing chocolate. Yeah. be verified. What would I do with my verse not written well? I am a black male, no doubt. Shit is hell. Could be somebody's target practice when they lick a shell shit for health heart sickle cell or you pick a cell i chose rap because i'm lazy and short fuck playing on courts dog i'm trying to stay out of court I'm still single because i'm threatened by the pain of divorce they shoot niggas like they made it a sport get blazed in my fort love staying indoors so for sure i'll hide so cold i don't even want to go outside fucking pigs all patrolling with a chromed out nine if i get into a scuffle then i know i'll die taste smog on my tongue when I breathe, I don't know what to believe, I'd protest but I don't want a disease, so I'm dressing like a billboard, feeling like a product, hope these cops don't think a nigga selling narcotics, dope, dope, hey, hey. What's happening? My name is Dope Knife. I'm Lingua Franca. We are waiting on reparations. Hurry up. Give us our goddamn money. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, I just got out of a seven hour commission meeting in which public comment was given by, you know, around 100, 150 wait, folks wait, back for up. and against. Wait, back d- up, back up, back up. Seven hour commission meeting. Yeah, yeah. So what time is it right now that we're recording? It is fucking one in, it's one twenty-eight in the morning. One twenty-eight in the I'm not going to lie. I've had a couple glasses of wine. And I've smoked a few blunts. <laughs> so... Oh, before I forget, the beats on this episode are provided by my homie Factor Chandelier. That's at Factor Chandelier on Instagram. He's a dope-ass producer. You guys should check him out. You know, I actually, this is my 15th, no, 14th day of my my quarantine. I thought you were about to say 14th blunt, and I was going no. to believe you. <laughs> I was going to say it's my 14th day of quarantine. So, you know, I haven't gotten sick yeah, you know, we're, I'm, I think I'm gonna go get tested for COVID tomorrow, but I'm assuming that I either didn't get yeah. it from you, the or if I did get it, yeah. I'm asymptomatic. So the I guidance smoked. I got from the contact tracer I spoke to was that after 10 days, if I had no symptoms, I could start going out in public again, which I started to do today. Wearing your it, mask, of course. Wearing my mask, of course. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I, well, I guess we're COVID free. Yeah, I we'll kinda, find out tomorrow. I took but. a break on how much I was smoking the last two weeks. So I was like, man, if I start getting symptoms and I was burning them down, your then that'll just make it worse. So today I woke up. I was like, man, I'm feeling kind of good. I mean, you know, knock on wood or whatever you got to knock on. But I was like, 
hey, I'm just going to smoke all the dope today. <laughs> I want to talk about the commission meeting for a minute, for a second. So many people came out in support of my fa- plan to defund the police in, in, a, in a word. You know, we've been calling it like reimagining public safety as a way to like gain more public buy-in. But uh, you want to say that on the air? What? I mean, yeah, because, yeah, whatever. Like people, like I'd be using the defund the police fucking hashtag to like word, get word. likes and or spread awareness, even though like you know, what's in a name? What's so I'm in just terminology? saying it's, it's all like taken care of. Like there's no more. You don't need that political strategy in the bag anymore. If you are listening to this show, you're not going to be fooled by me in public saying reimagine public safety. Like literally at the meeting, all the Republicans and most of the fucking like radical anarchists regular townie like young folks that came through were like either like you i don't support defunding the police or fuck yeah abolish the police defunding it isn't even enough and so it doesn't really matter what terminology we use people know what we mean so even if i do think reimagining public safety is an honest take of like what i'm trying to do yeah i really want us to take a creative and like bold approach to like thinking anew what it means to keep our community safe it means giving the police less money. If they're if they're gonna be demilitarized, yeah, that- yeah. So, so that was exciting, but it did take maybe like four or five hours, and then. So is it just like literally four and four and five hours? Of just people like just people coming people just- up and talking for three minutes? Yeah. Is it? Would you describe most of the discourse as like grievance or? So about twenty or thirty people came out in opposition to defunding the police. The rest of the folks that came out, the other hundred or so. Yeah, 80 or so um, were in support of defunding the police. We've had mostly pr- peaceful protests here in Athens so far, except for police violence where they tear gas and shot with uh, beanbag rounds, uh, peaceful protesters a couple of weeks ago. Um, but tonight we had a gathering of like Blue Lives Matter Republicans waving American flags on the steps of City Hall. And then folks that are here to, you know, end in unpaid prison labor and like defund the police that were like playing fuck the police by NWA and dancing and like holding signs. And reports indicated that an older white man who was with the Blue Lives Matter crowd came up the steps of City Hall and attempted to wrest away a megaphone from a black trans activist that was leading the Black Lives Matter protests, dragging him down the stairs uh, in like an altercation. And so it's like, we've had all this peaceful shit until the fucking right wing appears. We've been just chilling, singing Kumbaya and we shall overcome. And then... The instigators. It's, I, mean, they're the, I mean, they're the ones who are like ripping down like people's signs and shit. Mm. Oh, yeah. Costing little girls and stuff. Yeah. Well, but I guess I forgot to mention the car caravan on Saturday went well. We had about 100 cars show out and we uh, drove around to sites of police violence in Athens, shut down downtown for about an hour of the radio show. Aren't you getting ready to do that went again? Really next good. Weekend? And we're going to do it again this Saturday. And I'm yeah. actually bringing your ass now that none <laughs> of us have coronavirus. So. Yeah, I'm going to go participate now. Yeah, it's going to be cool. It's going to be cool. But you had some exciting news this week also. Oh, um, yeah, no, I, uh, I got to do. Uh, fundraiser with uh the legendary jerry conway he's the co-creator of the punisher and he used to write spider-man and a bunch of other cool comic book things but uh he he put out a call to get some you know illustrators and artists who were of color to do a little reappropriation of the punisher logo the character that he created it's you know the logo's been appropriated by police which is really ironic because cops have started wearing the Punisher skull on like their yeah, 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 yeah. uniform, like stickers on their car and shit. And it's any sort of passive following of the comic book. And it's quite explicit that Punisher doesn't fuck with cops. He especially, yeah. The Punisher especially doesn't fuck with cops who fuck with him. Yeah. But I know I got to design like a, you know, Black Lives Matter skull and all the proceeds are going towards Black Lives Matter. How much money have y'all raised so far? Uh, so far, I think the whole thing's raised like I think like twenty three thousand dollars. That's dope. Uh, that was like two days ago when I checked. So you know. that's ill, man. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you, Ruby. Pretty cool. And yeah, and then also it put me on to you know some of the fellow artists who participated in it. That's sick. Yeah. Put on to some new black you know illustrators and stuff. So that's dope. There's a link to that in my uh, Instagram bio, uh, dope underscore knife. So just check that out. 
I feel like we should have done this in reverse, but like we got lots of good news this week. We also got a lot of bad news this week. Um, I uh, I've been getting death threats for one. Fucking on the internet, one man uh, suggested Wait, I should be which, hu- which platform on Facebook. Oh, there one you man go. suggested I should be hung from a tree. Uh. Another man suggested that bricks be thrown through the windows of our home. Didn't you? Didn't, didn't some cops get involved? Cops called me to let me know that they were investigating the situation, asked if I wanted to press charges, and I declined. You declined? How come? Because, uh, I mean, there's two things. They suggested that it might be unlikely that they could be brought up, they could be effectively prosecuted for this, since they didn't explicitly say, I'm going to hang you from a tree. Yeah. It was just suggested that this is something that should happen. Someone should throw bricks through our window. But in addition, I feel like I, I like I just don't believe that the criminal legal system reforms people. Like these motherfuckers get thrown in jail, and then they're around a bunch of other white supremacists who have committed crimes. They get involved in like a white supremacist gang. They get their ideology reentrenched through that experience, or just bitterness through having been uh, incarcerated over threats to a black activist, and they just like double down on that mission in their lives. So, like, what we need to do instead is to, like, take a really close look at the schools they went to, the churches they have attended, who their parents are, what affiliations they have in terms of organizations in the community, and, like, do kind of an autopsy on, like, how do these organizations, how do these institutions create such evil men, and how do we reform and remake those institutions so that we stop making people like this? Because, you know, Robbie Bailey or whatever, Chuck Jones... Like, it's too late for them. But it might not be too late for their sons that are going to Athens Christian right now if we figure out how to fix Athens Christian. And so I just want to redirect people's attention to, like, the structural level of, like, what makes racist mm. rather than punishing individual racists for the institutions that made them shitty. You know where else there's a lot of racists? In our comment section. <laughs> section of the fucking <laughs> podcast. <laughs> oh, our comment section is a hot shit show. Yeah, you check that shit out. You know what? I glanced at it, but like I just in in general when whenever I do stuff, I'm like one of those cats. I try my hardest to not count numbers and not read comments because you know I, I obsess love over shit. The comment just, section. I love getting know. mad about what white racists say about me, man. I just get energized. But I did and glance at it, and enough struggles. enough people have commented. On it, uh, you know, my, my little brother is you know, in the military. He was like, Yo, man, you good? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So, I mean, I guess all that to say, you know, uh, leave us some five stars if you like the show and yeah, some comments course. about what you like about the show. It's also good feedback for us moving forward. Um, but this, uh, this kind of leads into what we we're going to talk about for today's episode, which is going to be part one in a reoccurring series that we're going to be doing where we spotlight different aspects of racism in a series that I'd like to call That's, That's racist. racist. So I think it's really important to do this because I think we've been operating from some basic assumptions that we want to make sure that we share with our audience. We've been working off the premise throughout the show that folks, you know, hold these same basic assumptions about what racism is and how it operates. But I think it's important as well to take a step back and explore where we're coming from and what these things actually mean uh, as like a practical matter for just like, yo, we, you know, love you for listening and I want to make sure we're all on the same page. But also in, t- in line with the theme of the show, thinking about the way that how we define racism also inflects our political reality. I see a lot of times in public policy, I saw earlier tonight in our commission meeting, how definitions matter so much for how resources get allocated, how the law is upheld. We were having a debate earlier about what the term resources mean. A bunch of funding was going out to all these indigent services providers and organizations that do work with the homeless, etc., who provide resources. And this one entity didn't get funding because it wasn't defined as like providing resources like well isn't education a resource isn't education like isn't you know this training a resource for people and so we have to be very clear in what different words mean in order for like governments to operate and for public policy to be effective it's like in the battle of debates and ideas it's like the words are weapons and it's like you have to know how to wield them the right way totally totally interpretation matters so much and so we're gonna get a little bit into the definition of racism today both to like establish a common ground with y'all and to kind of think about the way that um, that language influences our political reality especially when you're having discussions with people who 
you know, are trying to prove that an action, something they did, or that an aspect of what you guys are discussing to people who are trying to prove that it isn't racist, they're always quick to jump to the dictionary definition of the word racism to prove what it means. So let's check out a couple of those, right? So we have in the Oxford languages, we have uh, the belief that different races possess distinct characteristics, abilities, or qualities, especially so as to distinguish them as inferior or superior to one another. And then in the Collins English Dictionary, we've got the belief that races have distinctive cultural characteristics determined by hereditary factors and that this endows some races with an intrinsic superiority over others, abusive or aggressive behavior towards members of another race on the basis of such a belief. Now, what all these definitions do is firmly set the concept of racism as being a belief, a doctrine to, that someone subscribes to. Uh, these are safe definitions because they frame racism as being strictly like a moral failing and something that only pertains to some of us and not all of us. You know, it's something that you can write off as being, oh, that person's bad because that person thinks X. And it doesn't necessarily address the broader aspects of racism and how it affects every aspect of our lives. This is kind of like applying the bad apples philosophy to the definition of racism. Well, the thing about the bad apples like metaphor is that the full saying is that a couple of bad apples spoil the whole bunch. I think that's very like uh, poignant for thinking about the way that systemic racism, institutional racism operates because when you have individual actors all or you know even some of them doing this kind of thing and you have other people who aren't checking their power when it comes to enforcing regulations or you know in, uh, interacting with others in a racist way when you don't have any source of accountability around that uh, the whole system becomes inflected with this this racist ideology and so through every sort of interpersonal interaction with folks every single middle level manager that decides not to hire a black person it might not be a company-wide policy per se but it becomes systemic when um it is a trend historically and no one is checking that and so it's kind of accepted as the status quo yeah it, like it doesn't require that somebody be actively racist in order for it to perpetuate like all all that work was done hundreds of years ago literally and systems were put in place so it's like hey let's have this be so ingrained into the fabric of society so that hundreds of years from now even if public sentiment changes, those systems are still in place to perpetuate the system of racism. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com/theshy to get a fifty percent discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July fourteenth. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. This very issue of defining the word racism came to the attention of Drake University graduate Kennedy Mitchum, 
A few months ago, she sent an email to Merriam-Webster, the dictionary, bringing this up and urging that they update the definition for the word racism to represent the true meaning of what the word is. Making her case, she stated, racism is not only prejudice against a certain race due to color of a person's skin, as it states in your dictionary, it is both prejudice combined with social and institutional power. It is a system of advantage based on skin color. To her surprise, they hit her back up the next day and they actually agreed with her and they updated, I, they, the they, updated, they updated the definition and she changed the definition of the word racism. And we actually have Kennedy here with us today to talk about the case she made to Merriam-Webster and the impact of the definition's change. Okay, so we're here with Kennedy Mitchum, recent Drake University graduate, a 22-year-old, that effectively lobbied Merriam-Webster to get their definition of racism changed in the dictionary. How are you today, Kennedy? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. It's good to have you here. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit of what, about what informs your definition of racism. My own experiences, I've definitely been a part of a lot of predominantly white institutions growing up. Um, in St. Louis, a lot of that um, racism that I experienced was more blatant, a lot more overt. But going into college, a lot of that, you know, it was way, it was a lot more microaggressions. It was a lot more covert. It was a lot more undercover they did they didn't really want to acknowledge it as racism so those combines those different experiences definitely made me understand how racism is very multidimensional it's more than just calling someone the n-word or just derogatory terms it's a lot of the way that systems work to continue to oppress people it's it's a way that people continually they're implicit bias still works to you know show that oppression so my life experiences definitely informed the way that I see the word now what was like the deciding factor did something happen that made you just open your web browser that day and send that email out was it like a particular incident or was it just a build-up the frustration it was really both, but I think the current climate definitely sparked that a lot more because I've gotten into, you know, arguments about what racism is and what is and what's not racist like multiple yeah. times on social media. But a couple of weeks ago when I posted about, you know, some things that I experienced at Drake and a person, you know, wanted to say, no, that's that's not racism and that and copied and paste the Merriam Webster definition and I explained uh, to them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, this is the last straw. I yeah, can't oh, hell take no. it anymore. Um, <laughs> and that's what prompted me, especially right now. Like, if you don't understand that it's more than that, then it's more than just the basic, the surface level things is deeply ingrained in a lot of these systems we see. Then, like, I don't know what to tell you. So I'm like, let me just hit up. I thought that they were just the root of one problem. They were, uh, it was just one way that people would go is the definition way. So I'm like, okay, let me reach out to Merriam-Webster and ask them <laughs> to change it since a lot of people want to use that definition as a way to kind of stay stagnant and not really grow. Yeah and understanding. Yeah, for sure. Would you mind speaking on some of those early incidences of racism that you experience as well as how they differ from some specific examples of the covert kinds of racism you encountered at uh, Drake? In high school, like I had one girl, she came up to me like my first day of high school and she wrote uh, like with the Sharpie. And she came up to me and she wrote on me and she was like, wow, it still shows up. And I'm like, um, yeah, <laughs> like, girl, what? Yeah, definitely this, this sense of entitlement to black bodies and this like sense of comfort with like touching us, coming too close to us, violating our personal space up until like riding on a person. Sure, this person was like an adolescent, but like. These people got to learn at some point. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, earlier on, I was like, especially because I was in the environment that was predominantly white, but a lot of it was the climate was still like, OK, I'm still treated like normal. Like I was still able to be myself. So I was definitely in that same mindset. Like when I was younger, when I was like 15, 16, like, oh, maybe there's just a few rotten apples, you know, like that girl, maybe that's going to be an isolated incident. But up until like the Mike Brown 
brown thing, I was like, oh, like, no, this is not, this is yeah. not an isolated incident because, you know, a lot of people's true colors came to show because I think that was my junior year of high school and I was like the diversity yeah. club president and everything. And I was just able to understand like how much deeper it is in comparison to when I went off to college and it was a lot of the you know when I walked that when I walked down the hallway no one would make eye contact with me when I went when I was in different group projects a lot of people didn't value my opinion I would say something and then five they would be like um okay ignore it and then five seconds later a white counterpart would say the exact same thing they'd be like oh my god yes that is such a great idea and I'm like Oh my god, I just said that. Like it honestly is like mental warfare sometimes because you yeah, think you're no just doubt. it's like gaslighting. You think you're just being extra, you think it's just a you problem until you actually talk to, you know, people who look like you and who experience the same exact things. Same thing, yeah. And they're like, Well you they're like, Yeah, those microaggressions, man, like that's enough is enough and especially even from your own professors who are paid to who are literally paid to, you know, educate you, but here you are and they're calling you a different black girl's name every single every single chance, every single oh time. Oh my god, I swear to god. Like yeah. in. When my when I first got on the commission here in Athens, the mayor would frequently mix me up with the black auditor who has very short hair. She is light skinned like me, but like she's sitting in a completely different part of the chamber and always is. And she'd be like, Oh, you know, Stephanie made a good point when I just said it and I'll be like Yo, what the fuck? You're the mayor of a city. Literally. You are the mayor of a city. But yeah, so like there's these these overtly aggressive forms of racism that's like antagonization through, you know, getting like violations of personal space, stuff like that. And then there's these more subtle forms of marginalization through averted eye contact mm-hmm. or dismissing opinions that definitely build up over time to diminish a person's self-esteem you know, their sense of self-worth and like a lifetime of that is like really heavy to bear, no doubt. But talk to us a little bit about, you know, what, uh, what was wrong with the old definition of racism in the dictionary? Right. So the definition basically states, you know, that racism is this belief that, you know, one's race determines their abilities and that racial differences make those racial differences make one race superior to the other but the thing is it's not just racism isn't just believing that you're better than someone because of the color of your skin or just calling someone those overtly you know derogatory terms i mean you have to when we're talking about racism we have to really describe how it really infiltrates like every every part of our lives every aspect you must include the word systemic when we're describing racism because a big part of racism is putting systems in place that are designed to keep one race of people behind. So that's not, that originally wasn't included in the definition, but it's super important to add that in there. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of that Stokely Carmichael quote If a white man wants to lynch me, that's his problem. If he's got the power to lynch me, that's my problem. Racism is not a question of attitude, it's a question of power. Exactly. So now, like, assuming so that they are going to change the definition, they changed right? it. Okay, they changed it. So now that the definition has changed, at least in one dictionary, like, what is what's the next step? What do you think? Or some we're really trying to get take? that changed in every dictionary. Well, right now, I'm working with a lot of different scholars to get it changed in every dictionary because it's still like in the Oxford Dictionary, which is a very prominent one, and in dictionary.com, they still only have that basic you know, um, basically what I described earlier. So that's, that's the next step besides just trying to, you know, inform people on the deeper aspects. I feel like a lot of people who want to be ignorant, they're still going to be ignorant about it until it's like, they're not going to experience it, but it's like, you have to just boom. You have to really just be open to other people who might not have the same experiences as you and just listen. I think this is a very important time to just sit back and let people's voices be heard and actually 
listen to the, your counterparts and what they're saying instead of just trying to be ignorant about it because that's not going to get us anywhere. It's really going to just leave us in the same position we are now where there's black men, black women being killed, being murdered, being abducted, and there's nobody being held accountable for it because apparently black bodies, people want to act like black bodies, you know, they're not worth it. They're not worth anything, which is just not true. What do you think is the wider impact of the definitions change? I think that I hope that it allows for a lot more, a lot more um, conversations about racism that are actually accurate to what racism is. I think that it was definitely a, people were trying to take racism and you know just make it what they wanted it to be because of how loosely you know worded that it was in the beginning. So I hope that allows for more productive conversation. I hope that it allows for people yeah. to understand their biases and actually put forth some change to actually, you know, correct them because it's not always on people of color to come up with solutions. This is a time where you see we need solidarity and we need pe people of all races to really come together to fix the problem because, I mean, at the end of the day, we didn't create it. So it really needs to be addressed and solved all together universally. Hey, I had one last question. Every Everything that I've seen of people like covering you and what you've done, they only refer to you as a college graduate. So is there, a, is, is, is there something else that we can refer to you as? Besides. I think that that is has been bothering me, especially because my Drake experiences have hurt me so much. Like it's really been a mental warfare and like been such a like I don't it's really annoying how they're getting a lot of publicity and how they're really get, doing all of this. When at the end of the day, they didn't take care of me at all as a student there. They still aren't taking care of their people, students of color, which you can basically ask anyone. So I'm glad that you brought that up because. Ooh, that is get it off your chest. Ooh, that is so that bothers me so much because they're just taking so much PR from this, but they're still not putting anything in place to actually protect and actually hold those professors accountable who say racist stuff, hold those students accountable who do racist stuff that might not be overtly racist, but it still hurts all the same. So you can just call me by my name. You. Kennedy Mitchum. I also don't right. like the black because a lot of other people are just saying, you know, black women. But I'm like, I'm not just a black woman. I'm like, I'm like, can you just say graduate, my name? Black woman. Yeah, exactly. I'm yeah, like, educated black changes the, changes the world. Well spoken no. black person. Yeah. Literally. I'm like, oh my God. But ooh, that's so funny you brought that up. Well. Miss Mitchum. Yeah. Thank you for coming and talking with us on the Waiting and Reparations podcast. So thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. And so when you have these systems that were constructed through these iterative interactions between people, this one person that, you know, treated someone some way and then like you get a bunch of people who are treating someone this way and it creates this system that's been in place for hundreds of years, thousands of years. Um, what's interesting from a public policy perspective is the way that we are hindered in our policy from addressing the the status quo of the system, that, which is racist, and uh, dismantling parts of that system that, that, that are racist. So for example, in the local government, we've been trying to work on getting more minority contractors with city contracts for paving roads, building buildings, doing roofing, doing solar panel installation, because all of these white um, firms have had advantage for hundreds of years, tens of decades, uh, with regards to the way that they've been able to accrue capital and actually maintain a business, whereas black businesses were burned to the ground, etc. But law prevents us, given like equal protections under law, it's equally discriminatory for us to give uh, contracts to exclusively white people as it is to give contracts exclusively to black people. There's no way that we can enact a law that says we are going to give 30% of our city contracts to black owned firms because that's discrimination as well. And so this kind of, the, this, this kind of policy 
helps uphold the system, but it operates under the guise of protecting everyone from discrimination. Like everyone's equal to begin with. Everyone's already <laughs> equal. So like you can't discriminate against white people by saying we're going to give contracts to black owned firms. Yeah. And it really prevents us from actually addressing the historical roots of a lot of the disparities that we have in our community. Um, because of these things that have been so ongoing for such a long time historically. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com/theshy to get a fifty percent discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July fourteenth. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. <laughs> Are we good? No, I'm good. I'm great. Yeah, no. Okay. Especially since the intellectual part of the episode is over, now I can just like laugh at rap <laughs> exactly. music. So, so in you know going with the episode for the music discussion, we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about some songs that are themed in racism. You know about the topic of it, either dealing with you know an aspect of it. I tried to to be really specific with it and just. Look for songs that were, were hilarious, about, you know, systemic <laughs> racism. But there's just so many songs that are just about racism more broadly that it's just like, no, we just got to talk about it. So this first one is actually like a real classic. Um, this is um, Brad Paisley featuring LL Cool J, Accidental Racist. So when I see that white cowboy hat, I'm thinking it's not all good. I guess we're both guilty of judging the cover, not the book. Yo, get all the way the fuck out of here with that. <laughs> this is real? What year is this? Um, that was 2012. No! Yeah. No! Yep, nah. There's like a... They even... They did press for this, yo. There's like a, a CNN clip of them talking about this that looks like a parody... Looks like a fucking State Farm commercial. <laughs> I'm gonna try not to think about that. <laughs> so that's just a little bit of LL's verse, but Brad Paisley, he's singing about going into like a coffee shop and getting served by, I assume, a black waiter. And he's got a Leonard Skinner shirt on, so he's got the rebel flag and he's feeling bad about it. And I think this shit really happened. I think this nigga. Really went into some place wearing the rebel flag as some some black people cussed him out, and he went to the studio like, I have to call LL. Where's Cool James? I just any sort of rap country shit miss me. Just fucking miss me. You know, I, I want to say that, but like the Nelly Tim McGraw joint in a certain frame of mind. I could see how people fucked with that. I'm rolling my eyes. I mean, I'm just, I'm just keeping it real. I didn't say I fucked with it. I'm just saying I understand how people I mean, thought it was. Shit. Yeah, you know. Yeah, how are you gonna make fun of it when you know every syllable? I think, I think in the in the right hands, anybody can, anybody who's capable can make anything dope. 
And obviously, LL Cool J is one of the greatest rappers of all time. But that shit was trash. Um, so the next joint is a pretty interesting one. This is a uh, Jordan Lucas. I'm not racist from 2017. It's his uh, conversational concept song. Check this out. Talking about slavery like you was around back then. Like you was picking cotton off the fucking ground back then. Like you was on the plantation getting down back then. I'm not racist. This is like the dialogue between like the MAGA hat wearing bearded white guy and then the, the black dude, right? Yeah, the black kid. They're like it's sitting like, at like a table together. It's framed as a conversation. A lot of it got yeah. flack when it came out because some people thought that the white dude's verse was either longer or had had more thought put into it or something like that. I don't know. Like in in any event, it's like it's the song that he chose to make, you know what I mean? It it I don't really give it any sort of judgment on that. It's more of the quality of it that I'm thinking about. Well, also the way it's positioned in the I mean like structurally in the song, like when I first watched it, like watched the music video and I just the music video starts and it's this white guy rapping about how black people are bad. I was just like Yo, what the fuck? I mean, like, I think the, that's the, like, what the fuck. From from like a, a artsy fartsy standpoint, I think that's like the intention is like it invokes to, it invokes like a it's reaction. To be provocative, invokes, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You immediately are kind of a little bit pissed off. I mean, the second, you know, again, it's it's another one of those songs where, admittedly, it's like the first few times I heard it a few years ago, I was like, eh, you know, I kind of felt the same way. But listening to it more these last few days, leading up to this, it's like, all right. The argument that you know, both of the verses are equally as long and that, you know, they both have equal time if you actually, like, look at it. So it's like, okay, I don't know. I, I don't I don't mind it as much as I did when I first heard it. But maybe I'm getting soft or something. Definitely getting soft. I mean, it definitely gets hokey towards the end because they, like, make up and hug. And it's like, oh, if only we could just put the racism aside and hug it out. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I hear all those criticisms, but... It's wrapped really well, and I just dig the concept. It's not like a... I, 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 dig, I dig it when people do songs that, like, make me like, damn, I wish I had thought about that first, you know? And this song definitely has some of that. So the uh, next joint is Black America Again by Common featuring Stevie Wonder. Now we slaves to the blocks, all of we spray shots, leaving our own to lay in the box. Black mothers Anytime anybody is like black on black crime needs to end and like doesn't actually bring into like bring into it the systemic dimension of like why we're killing each other. In his I defense, just like don't give a fuck. I just strange. don't. My eyes just roll back in my skull and I fucking die a little bit. That I mean, nah, I think there was he was that was just one bit of the song. I don't think that's a fair description of that song. But um. I don't know. Is that like? Is that your? Is that your only feeling? I mean, because that song to me is I mean, like. I fuck with comments. Yeah, that's what the, it's like. Typical. I don't. I'm, I'm not saying this in a bad way at all. But it's like it. It's like standard common fare. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's always like hitting on those sort of points. Uplifting like the community. Uplifting the shit. community. And, stuff yeah. like. and I mean, I think it's. I don't think that we should be so reactionary that common can't say, black men don't kill each other. I mean. It's one thing if Ben Shapiro's punk ass is saying it, but Common should be able to say it. You know what I mean? No. What, you, you disagree? I mean, like, you don't hear fucking Luke Bryant singing songs about how white people need to stop killing each other. What the fuck is a Luke Bryant? When when most fucking homicides happen intraracially. I, I understand that. I just don't think that Common's mention of this in the song is, like, coming from the same place that somebody... Concern trolling when you're trying to bring up systemic racism is is coming from when they do it. This is an episode about systemic racism. <laughs> if motherfuckers aren't addressing the systemic roots of the issues in our community, okay, well, they're not serving us, and in, I'm sorry. In Commons, being defense. like, put the guns down. Who the fuck you thought? Like, wait, wait, no, let's, no, 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 no. no. You war. listen, okay, no, but listen and think about it for a second. How many people do you think Common got to put their guns down over this song? I don't know. Yeah, because nobody fucking put their guns out over the song. However, if a song had been uh, crafted around addressing the roots of uh, black homicides, 
in poverty, in, you know, housing insecurity, in a lack of education. Why aren't they funding that shit? Again, just a sliver of a six minute long song. To raise awareness for the re- for like policy change that could like actually impact the roots of, of intraracial homicide. Fucking that would be dope. I, I he ain't honestly, get nobody put their guns down because of this shit. That's I honestly, I honestly think that's an unfair characterization of one line. Well, fuck you, then. <laughs> no, for real though. Like, I mean, this is a six-minute song. Cool. That's called "Black America Again." The nigga definitely hits on systemic racism, at least. A couple times in the shit. I'm not even trying to hate on the rest. Of, I'm not even trying to denigrate any of Commons' work. I mean, so is broadly. your argument is your argument that that should never be mentioned at all? I don't think it's useful to tell people to put their guns down unless you're actually mediating like gang conflict in like an actual interpersonal way. But I mean, that's that's where it stems from, though. Man, next song. I ain't getting into this. I mean, look, look. I mean, just just keeping it real, like. I grew up on gangster rap. That was like the first rap that rap shit that I listened to. You know what I mean? When I first started listening to rap. And it's like there was like the ethos of it wasn't really, yeah, yo, like killing each other is dope. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like that that wasn't, you know, like like as a matter of fact, it was quite like vehemently like Nah, like, like, put the gun down, black, black man. Don't we need to stop shooting each other? You know what I mean? Like, we need to like aim at, the, like, in some cases, people are like, we need to aim at them. Which brings us to the next song. <laughs> <laughs> this, okay. So when I say the name Sir Mixalot, what do you think about it? I like big. Butts and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. When a girl walks in with an itty bitty waist and a round thing in your face, you get degrees. <laughs> so yeah, Sir Mix a lot. Sir Mix, you know, I I was I used to listen to Sir Mix a lot, like around when Baby Got Back first came out, and it's like I actually had that album that that was on. It's called Mac Daddy. Actually, it's executive produced by Rick Rubin, and Sir Mix a lot did a lot of the beats on it. But I've been saying since I was a little kid that Sir Mixlot is one of the most underrated rappers of all time that just nobody gives credit to because of the strength of Baby Got Back. They forgot how nice he was on the mic. But this shit has some crazy concept songs on it. I mean, there's shit where he's rapping like he's a Ferrari. There's a song where he's rapping from the perspective of being a uh, heroine. So he's got this cut on that album that's called Jack Back that is pretty much just like a Nazi murder fantasy about him beefing with a clan, with like a squad of skinheads and getting revenge killings because they burned a cross in his yard. It's really fucking awesome. Let's check a little out a little bit of that. Yo, this shit is wild. Uh, yeah. Wild. I mean, it's wild. And I, I really enjoy that, you know, because we were just talking about, you know, black on black crime. But it's like this is essentially a 90s gangster rap song. But the antagonist of this gangster rap story isn't another black man. It's actual skinhead racist that he's like doing drive bys on and catching slipping. You love to see it. All right, and last we got is actually my favorite of the joints that I found and I was listening to. This is a uh, Mar- a song by Marlon Kraft called Gang Shit. Let's check this out. We gonna make America white again. Cause I don't want to compete with people who work harder than me because we all spited them. And if I can sit in the- <sighs> So fucking dope. It's so fucking catchy. Yeah, that shit's... Yeah, when I first heard that shit, it was stuck in my head for days. But I like... I I think this is similar to the Jonah Lucas, I'm not racist one, in the sense of, like, the framing and how it's set up, where the rapper's taken on the character of these different personalities. That was just a snippet, but in the course of the song, he plays the role of a cop, and he's, like, 
talking about how the cops view black people. Then he plays the role of a Klansman, and he's talking about how the Klansman views black people. And then he plays the role of like a black guy who's actually in jail, who grew up in the hood, and he's like, my gang shit landed me in prison. And your gang shit got you on the street walking the beat and you sitting at home, you know, with your family and shit. Having dinner, yeah, sitting around the dinner table. And it's just, it's just really, I think it's, A, I think it's more effective than the Jonah Lucas song because it's a better song. You know what I mean? It's got like a catchy hook. I think the beat's better. It's just, it's just an iller song. And kind of that's important when you're trying to make messages with your shit is that it sounds good because I think your point can get across. Right. Better. It's important for like catching the attention of your audience to like lure them into paying attention to the broader message. Exactly. So that's going to be it for our music discussion. And that's going to be it for our episode. I, for one, feel like rapping. I feel like rapping, too. And I also want to wish everyone a very happy Juneteenth this Friday. Yeah, don't uh, don't work. General, yeah, general, general fucking work strike. Style. Don't buy shit, don't go to work. I ought to be a prodigy just like my parents thought I'd be Instead of squandering my doctorate Partying heartily, lost in the gox I get Looking like chocolate, broccoli, panoptic lock And keep them watching me constantly Cause I braided and straightened until the grade 10th When I decided I was kinda tired of homogenization But ain't should change since My looks like Andrew Davis, it erases From close to observation, I'm whiter than me Look, I don't got Tooly to spit But when it comes to written verses, I am truly legit I'm on another different curve, I ain't in school with you pricks Cause what I drop, I'll give the urge to kick a dude in his shit I'm proving it this, spit obscene words and then I dip I stack the bread and that means work and I persist I mix the red and the green herb and I equip Come off the head with a mean verse and let it rip Nigga, shit, how do you got the kid? I'm the alchemist, I insist If you brought the piff, let me light the stick I'm the prince with the lion fist I'm about the shits, I'm the shit What the fuck is drip? Right without a wrist In the meanwhile, I'ma leave your hoes pissed off I freestyle better than your whole discard a quick nod to my dope heads, you gon' get robbed from now on, not knife, nigga, no, just God, dope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, I'm Dope Knife. I'm Lingua Franca. And we are waiting on reparations. Hurry up. We'll see, see you, you guys next, next week. week. Waiting on Reparations is a production of iHeartRadio. Listen to Waiting on Reparations on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.